you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Welcome to the Red Agenda. It's with sadness that we learnt of the passing of one of the all-time Liverpool greats, Ray Clements. And on today's pod, we'll reflect on the Reds' greatest ever keeper and his contribution to those dominant sides of the 70s and 80s. Also on the show, devastating news for Joe Gomez. He's missing for a considerable time frame with another bad injury. So a defensive dilemma for Jurgen Klopp to solve. And it's never easy to hang up your boots when you play for Liverpool, possibly even harder if you're a one-club man like Jamie Carragher. We'll check out an exclusive interview with him on that front. I'm Steve Hothersall, and on the pod today, Simon Hughes and Kiva O'Neill. Right now, you can sign up to The Athletic for just £1 a week, read all the great articles on Liverpool and so much more, including that interview this morning with Jamie Carragher. And we'll be able to play you a few clips from that later in the show. To subscribe, go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod and pay just £1 a week. OK, let's start with uh, some thoughts and reflections on one of the greats of the game who's left us. Ray Clements won practically everything in 13 years at Liverpool, 665 games for the club. What is the legacy? Simon Hughes, you, you've been having a look. What, what does Ray Clements mean to you, Si? Well, I think um, I know people talk a lot about sort of the greatest goalkeepers and sort of what what is the definition of, of greatness. But I think that the best way of putting it is that with, he he was a goalkeeper that helped make Liverpool great. Um, obviously, the first goalkeeper to win the European Cup in '77, and had won won that competition I think three times before he he left for Tottenham. Um, and I obviously been speaking to quite a few people who who played with him, and it's just quite clear how how strongly they feel about what an amazing goalkeeper he was. I mean, he he played a little bit before I I was born, so I never saw him play live. So I was sort of brought up on his his legend through my dad and watching videos of of, of his saves. And I saw one this morning that I hadn't seen before from from Franny Lee in a game against Manchester mm. City, and I was just thinking, how on earth did he? Did he make that save? Um, but it's not, it's not just about the, the the saves that he made. He was capable of the spectacular. But I think it was just his his, his understanding of the game and, and his his organisational skills. And I mean, I, I only met him a couple of times for, for interviews. And despite him, you know, having the status of the greatest Liverpool goalkeeper ever, you, you wouldn't have known that by by speaking to him. He's very sort of humble guy and unassuming, really, and, and quite interested in in the people, you know, who whoever he was talking to and. Just a really, really nice bloke, um, and it's it's just sad. It's just sad that obviously he's, he's obviously been suffering for, for quite a long time now. Um, I, I know a lot of people who've met him in more recent years, and just said he, you know, he's he's, he's always sort of kept his sense of humour and um, his spirits, and you know, when, whenever you go into a situation, even though uh, sorry, into an interview, even though like you know, visibly he, he'd obviously he struggles with his illness, he, he hadn't lost his, his his spirit at all. So. It's just very sad, you know. I think obviously the term legends used a lot, isn't it, in football? But he, he certainly does fall into that category, and quite rightly is described as, as Liverpool's greatest goalkeeper. I know Bruce Grobbelaar has won more than than Ray Clements, but I, I think he, I think even Bruce on, on his, his Instagram post uh, this morning said that you know that, that Ray Clements is the greatest goalkeeper that's ever played for Liverpool. Um, so yeah, just 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 very very sad. 
And, and let's face it, Ray won quite a lot as well. Five league titles, three European Cups, three UEFA Cups. Um, of course, he had the, the spells with Liverpool and Spurs. And I think one of the, the lovely things and a clip which was shown quite a lot on, on social media over the last 24 hours was when he returned to Liverpool after he'd left Liverpool and he was playing for Spurs and the reception that he got from the cop end when he went down there. And there's some wonderful video footage or even photos of him with his arms raised almost in a V and, and the whole crowd are, are replicating that. And that, that adoration really shows how much he means to the club now, meant to the supporters even back then. It was quite funny because I, I think, I think it was James who spoke to Alan Kennedy and he said about that moment that Liverpool had just... I think recently been crowned European champions again and all the Liverpool players were joking saying even we don't get that sort of you know adulation you know it's if anybody hasn't seen that video I think I think they should go back and watch it because the cop just looks amazing you know obviously 20 25,000 people packed into into the stand and each one of them you can just see their arms in the air and he, he's just getting the best reception you've ever seen uh, I've never seen a reception like it for, for all the players even when you think back about when Jamie Carragher retired and, and Steven Gerrard retired and sort of the sense of occasion there. This this was just obviously, this wasn't organised. It was just a, a, a spontaneous reaction to him going, you know, and standing in front of the cop again. So it's, it's just, it just really does show you how people felt about him at that that moment. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's, it's as I said, it's just, just really, really sad that, that this has happened. I mean, I was aware, like, sort of his, his health had sort of deteriorated quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, but you sort of hope that somehow that there'll be some sort of improvement. But when I heard yesterday, again, just like like a lot of people just started watching all the videos and sort of that, that brings him back alive again, you see, and the, the, mm. the saves that he made and, and how spectacular he was. There was one save that I saw him make for England against Scotland and I was just like, oh my God, how's he, how's he managed to do that? So, I think Alison Becker was one of the first people to um to to put a post up on social media. So he he clearly knows, you know, that that, that that's that's the legacy that he's now, you know, that, that he's got to live up to really. Kiva, I know pretty much like Sias said there, you, you wouldn't have seen him live, but I'm sure in the past day you've you've checked out an awful lot of Ray Clements in terms of those videos and stuff that's been said about him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I grew up watching Liverpool next to my granddad and I'd ask him, you know, little bits of stories and stuff. And still to this day, he'd say Clem, you know, that was the best goalkeeper Liverpool will ever have. You know, he was lucky enough to be one of those people on the cop and to see his saves. It just, I think it shows what kind of a person he was, let alone a footballer. The outpouring of emotion yesterday um, was really moving, to be honest. The little clip Liverpool put out, I was sobbing off that. That was just... You know, when I showed him going back to the cop and obviously speaking and stuff, I just found it all really emotional. And this isn't even a man that I got to see playing goal for Liverpool. You know, you just knew how special he was to the club and there weren't many like him, was there? Um, you know, just so sad. What a fairy tale story he had as well, coming from Skegness all the way to being, you know, three-time European Cup winner. Um, you know, just a, a real true Cinderella story and thought of definitely with his family um, at this sad time. I, I think I saw a post from his daughter as well, um, which is just like a video sort of collage of, you know, moments together over the years. He just looked like a, a really lovely fella, you know, off the pitch, let alone he's got this legacy that, as Simon 
mentioned there. You know, he's Alison was one of the first to to share a post the other week when Clive Tildesley was the one to sort of say, you know, he he'd like, you know, he's not doing too good and would like to see some messages. And then there was an outpouring then, wasn't there, to say, you know, all these lovely memories. And then, you know, Alison was one of the first. So I think you just understand that he's just such a, a pivotal and iconic figure of, of this football club and of Tottenham as well in England, you know, um, and he'll never be forgotten. I knew Ray really well. And, you know, over the past six years, I worked with him an awful lot. And um, the abiding thing with him, was his smile. He walked in, he's got this relentless smile, ear to ear. He had time for everyone. Um, massive respect. Anyone, if you're with him and anyone came close and wanted to say hi, he always had time for them. But his love of both Liverpool and Spurs. And I think there's a really interesting story which I've heard him tell on a few occasions. And this is how he left Liverpool, side. So he'd won his third European Cup. And this was the great Liverpool team of 81. The Reds playing the Whites of Real Madrid in Paris in 1981. They'd, they'd come off the pitch, you know, Phil Thompson lifted the cup and they're in the dressing room. And he sat in the corner of the dressing room drinking his champagne out of a plastic cup. And he said he felt no extreme emotion having won a third European Cup. And he said at that moment in time, he knew that everything had become so routine in the winning stakes for Liverpool. It was just a normality. And he knew that if he wanted to continue with the game and enjoy it, he had to leave the club at that point. It's a fascinating story. He didn't go into the game thinking he was going to leave. And then afterwards, he just went, I just need to get the buzz back. I need to be at another club where I've got a challenge again. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story because, of course, at the time, Bruce Gravelar had come in uh, a couple of months before, another big personality. And there was all sorts of speculation about whether whether Ray had decided, oh, you know, I can't deal with this. But I think both people have said, you know, sort of corroborated that story that, that, that you just told there. Uh, I mean, uh, Kiva, Kiva mentioned it before about sort of the fact that he came from Skegness and Scunthorpe. Uh, that's the, the side of the story that I, I sort of love as well because it, it almost symbolised why Liverpool had become so successful in, in, in that period. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 the process of signing players from quite obscure clubs bringing them in, letting them have, you know, two, 18 months, two years, three years sometimes to sort of bed into the culture of the club and then and then become great. So that it sort of feels like it's gone back that way a little bit now with some of the signings that Liverpool have made. Of course, you could talk about Andy Robertson coming from Hull and some, some of the other left field signings that they made. I think that... I think that always, when you've had that sort of upbringing and, and grounding, that it always creates that level of hunger, and that, that ties into what you you were talking about there, Steve. That obviously you, you get most the most out of the game when you're hungry, and clearly having been at Liverpool for the the, the most well, one of the most successful periods in the club's history, it, it was a big call to walk away from Liverpool at that, that time because he, he probably could have well, he, he could have easily played for another four, five, six years for Liverpool when when you look at what happened at Tottenham. So yeah, yeah, you know, incredible, incredible player. I think uh, David Fairclough. I, I mean, I was speaking to him about about his sort of friendship with him, and he was saying that behind the scenes, inside the dressing room, he was like sort of the, one of the main, if not the main character. You know, always sort of mm. at the centre of everything that was going on in the dressing room, and. If he was unhappy about something, he always knew because he'd be quite quiet sometimes. He was quite an emotional sort of bloke, really, in that sense. So the, the other sort of story that I enjoyed was him, him always you know, playing outfields when, when Liverpool trained. And it got to the point where the, the first team staff said, you know, you can't play outfields anymore. 
in training sessions because you just keep on fouling everybody and injuring, potentially injuring people because <laughs> he was such a committed player. You know, like he, I think he he started playing centre forwards when he was a young younger player, and then it played left back because he was left footed and. You know that that sort of combination of being left-footed and being a mad goalkeeper, I think it made it made parts of Melwood no go areas for him. You know when when he actually started training with the first team because he was so committed and so physical. Um, so yeah, yeah, just some some great stories. I mean, we, we've obviously written a, a piece about his his life, and there was a lot of stories there that I I wasn't aware of. And you sort of look at again, I keep on going about the saves, but the, there was one save that he made at Dresden. You know when, when Liverpool were trying to become European champions, and and uh, I think it was the quarterfinals away, and he made a save to keep the score to nil nil, and it was a pivotal save, but it only became remembered as a pivotal save at the end of the season when you look back and you think. God, if he lets that one in, you know, they, they could have gone out feasibly. I think they won the second leg 5-0. But it's these sorts of moments that, that created, as Kiva said, it's not just uh, his legend, but the, the club's legend. He, he's part of that. He's he's central to, to Liverpool's history as a, as, a, as a worldwide institution that everybody knows it as now. So it can't be underplayed, his, his role in, in that. Completely. And, and as you said, a big personality. There's so many stories. One, one he used to love telling was how when they'd lost the 77 FA Cup final, the, the game which Jimmy Case scored a cracking goal, he started um, a rendition of singing on the, on the platform at the train station. All the team joined in um, and it gathered some momentum for them heading towards the European Cup final. So he was a big influence off the field as well as on it. Ray Clements, he'll be very sadly missed. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot. Probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. It's the Red Agenda. 
I'm Steve Hothersall, Simon Hughes and Kiefer O'Neill uh, on the pod today. And let's check out some of the injury news that's coming out of the football club. We didn't realise what was going to happen in terms of Joe Gomez, but uh, Liverpool's defence depleted even more. So a serious knee injury suffered in training at St George's Park, head of the game with the Republic of Ireland. And Kiefer, it's expected that he's going to miss, what, the rest of the season now? Um, they haven't, they're similar with Van Dijk, they haven't sort of put a time frame on it, but they haven't ruled him out of the season, but that's the same what they've done with Van Dijk, it kind of, you know, points to the fact that he maybe won't play this season, but there's, you know, maybe a slim chance that he will. I think, you know, just such a devastating blow at the minute, you know, Liverpool fans just must be thinking, what the hell is going on? Everyone's getting injured and, you know, I think we have to point back to the amount of fixtures and then this really big you know, this, well, it's almost a short international break, but they're just cramming in like a million games, aren't they? Um, which, you know, isn't helping anyone. The sad thing about Joe Gomez's injury is that it's like the third time he's suffered an injury on while on international duty. And I think it's his fourth sort of major injury, which, you know, he, people think he gets injured a lot. He actually doesn't. Um, he's just had really bad injuries that have kept him mm. off for longer. I mean, he's only I 23, he, isn't he, Kiva? Yeah, I mean, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say he was injury prone. He's just a really unlucky lad, to be honest. Um, it's obviously done his ACL a few years ago and not long after he joined Liverpool, that was. And then, you know, a couple more injuries followed after that. I think an ankle one and, you know, eventually worked his way back, didn't he? When, and made an appearance in Madrid off the bench, you know. He's had such a... It's it's funny when you think of the amount of games he's missed, which I think is nearing 100, well, will be after this, um, to to see what, you know, he's actually achieved as well. You know, he's he's been an integral part of this team over the past few seasons. And it's mad to think that he is just 23 and we're already thinking of, you know, he's, he's the starting centre-back alongside Van Dijk. And I think it's more of a blow just because of how brilliant he's been the past few weeks. You know, he had... He himself would admit he had a really shaky start to the season. I think he was, you know, they were all poor against Aston Villa, but he was, you know, really poor that night. And, you know, he picked himself up after that. And obviously with the the blow to Van Dijk, he just sort of, he just stepped out of that sort of mini shadow almost that he was in there and was just like, right, I'm the man. I'm going to play with whoever you need me to. He did what he had to do and almost helped lead them players through the game. Um so to to it'd be an understatement if we didn't say you know what a what a what a miss this will be to Liverpool's season now, but you know I think he, he he's come back from these types of injuries before and he'll definitely come back again. There's there's no doubt about that. He's got that set up there um, and the mentality to come back and you know we hope we hope he does so as soon as he can. But you know now it's for mm. for other lads to sort of step up. Joel Matip's got to put in a run of games which he hasn't done for I can't remember the last time he, he put in a run of games to be honest off the top of my head. He's got to really step up now. I mean that's a concern because he you know his fitness is often a worry, isn't it? You know, but he's, he's he's got to do something special for Liverpool now, similar to what he done getting us to, to European Cup finals. You know, he, he was the player that stepped up, didn't he, on both of those latter half sort of season runs. And he, he's got to put in another sort of six month, five month, whatever it is, spell now to get to get Liverpool through this season. Mm. Um, and it'll be alongside some younger players. And, you know, it's, it's just got to be interesting to watch. And then, you know, do they buy someone in January? Well, I'm sure you'll want to speak about that. All right, well, let's go straight on to that. So on the uh, on the David Ornstein column today, uh, if you look on The Athletic, he 
talks about the fact that he believes that Liverpool will not be in the market in January for a solution to this problem. Well, I was sort of told not so long ago that Liverpool definitely looking to sign somebody next summer. It's obviously a position which they've gone into this season with with a fewer number of players compared to last season. And then suddenly, you know, they've only got Joel Matip. So the, the, the sort of three players down from last season in, in what is a, a key position. So they were already sort of looking at looking at the position and as ever Liverpool have tend to tend to narrow things down to a target of four players. And Upa Makano Leipzig's definitely on that list, definitely on Liverpool's radar. I mean he's a very, very good player, somebody who could play whoever he signs for, possibly for the next ten years, you know, if he goes to one of the, the major European clubs, which I think he will. So um but his his contract situation, so I'm told, is is sort of would would allow Liverpool to get him for, for a, a decent price next summer. Um, now Liverpool are proven in the past that, that they're not like a club that that goes and changes its plans to fill to to fill short term problems. I think when you think back to Virgil Van Dijk when when they signed him, obviously they they, they found out that they weren't going to be able to to well I say found out that's a generous way of putting it, but they they they, they couldn't. They couldn't sign him in the summer of 2017 and there were options to go and sign other players, but Jürgen Klopp decided, no, we're going to wait for him and sign him and he'll become the team's main number one defender, which I think was obviously proven the, <laughs> the right decision. So uh, if, if they've already made a decision about what they're going to do next summer, I, I think the only way that they will go and sign somebody in January is if they can bring any one of those players in in January. Uh, they're not in a position like sort of four or five years ago when... In January, they went and signed Stephen Corker on loan. I, I just, I just don't see that happening. Liverpool aren't in that, in that sort of market anymore. They're not, they're not a club that needs to necessarily go and do that. But Sorry, will, they end, not, will they not depend on their form over the next two well, months? It could, so it, it could do. I mean, it, one of the big things I just, I just spoke on David's podcast before. So if people are listening, it's, it's um, I'm repeating myself. I apologise, but I, I do think part of it is actually related to injuries and other parts of the pitch as well because obviously this season Liverpool have had good results based on the performances of the, of the attacking players I don't think they can afford to have more attacking players getting injured obviously Salah might be missing from the Leicester game I, th- I think part of the problem is as well further up the pitch where you might be able to get by for a couple of weeks with players like A Fabinho B Jordan Henderson even Wan Alden who has played centre-half in a back three before dropping back if there are other players like Thiago and Keita getting injured, then the whole structure of the team sort of collapses quite quickly, doesn't it? So they're going to have to make... I don't, what I'm saying is I don't think they can afford to have any more injuries before it becomes a really critical situation. So we will see. I mean, I, I think that they'll... I think Liverpool will stick to what they know and, and sort of trust the system that they've had. And if there's a player that they really want who they can get before next summer then they'll go and sign but they won't just sign a player as a stopgap that's just not the way Liverpool do business anymore I think obviously we've written about it and spoken about it enough I think it'd be a major departure from that um, because you're then potentially not affecting just one season you're affecting potentially two seasons or the the long term future I think I think Liverpool you know given that they've lost three centre-halves personally I think that they should be doing everything that they possibly can to make sure that they've got a player in for January, even if it costs them a bit more money, um, right. because the se- the season could slip away quite quickly if if they get any more injuries. 
Right, for, for both of you, what's the preference then? Is it rotation in terms of Reese Williams plays a game, maybe Nat Williams has a go, maybe Jordan Henderson slots in alongside Fabinho or Matip? I mean, pr- we're presuming that probably Matip might not stay fit because that seems to be the way. Or do you just put a Jordan Henderson alongside a Fabinho? Go on, Kiva, what do you think? It's interesting, isn't it? I think um, Nat Phillips isn't actually registered for the Champions League, so we won't be seeing him there until I think can they re-register in in January before the you know we get through. I don't think the Champions League's a big worry, is it anyway? So Reese Williams is likely to get pick up more experiences um, there. Um, obviously, you're sort of dependent on Matip staying fit, aren't you? Um, Fabinho is sort of expected, I think, to come back just after the international break, not sure whether Leicester might be a, a game too soon for him or maybe he'll make it. You, you, we don't quite know yet, but I'd expect him to be someone Liverpool can depend on. And, you know, that's the reason Jürgen Klopp and his team didn't need to, didn't didn't want to, because, I mean, you know, not seemed to sort of fit the bill, did it? Um, and like Sam says, it might be a case of just waiting it out almost. You'd, you'd expect um, Jordan Henderson to, to do a job there if indeed he's fixed. Obviously, he came off for half-time for England with a bit of a um, bit of a tightness in, in his muscle. Um, his hamstring was it sort of said, but I'm um, not too sure there. We're asking questions about that as well. A lot of it depends on just sort of Allison as well being being a beast doesn't it um in goal I think you know he's gonna have to do a lot more a lot more work than he than he already does you know he's gonna have to really really step up and be that that goalkeeper we all know he is and I just think the midfield as well like Simon mentioned we've really got to have as many options as we can in there because we know that we're gonna have to use midfielders in defense and I think Liverpool have to buy someone in January definitely I mean I know they don't do those knee-jerk sort of transfers but I just feel like they're going to have to do it because it just feels like if they're in a good position in January, why would you not want to strengthen from that position? Okay, if if everything's fallen apart by then or fallen away because of, you know, the, the onslaught of injuries, then, you know, maybe they can go, well, you know, wasn't quite our year. We'll just sort of, you know, we'll we'll buy it out to the summer and bring in the, the one guy we think can, can make everything right. And, you know, Liverpool fans should almost be patient for that because look how long it took us to get Van Dijk. And then, you know, he's only just had an injury now. Like, you know, he, he's played for Liverpool for that long and been that awesome. So if we're sort of going to get a player like that, which is, you, you feel rare, but, you know, this te- this team of, you know, Klopp and Michael Edwards have pulled it off before, so maybe we should be patient. But you know, if Liverpool are still in the position, you know, you'd imagine they will be hunting for the league title and obviously the Champions League as well. Come January, they need to they need to strengthen. There's definitely some challenges ahead. Stats show that Liverpool have picked up 15 injuries lasting 10 days or more. That's, that's the most in the league. side. are are they suffering excessively? With injuries, <laughs> compared to other teams, yeah, I mean it's been yeah. a in, in, it's a reason. In, it's been an incredible start of the season. I mean, I think there's lots of different reasons. I mean, it, obviously, Jurgen Klopp is unhappy about the the number of substitutions that he's 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 about to make. Obviously, he wants to be able to make five subs rather than three, and a lot of the other countries are, have sanctioned that. And he's saying, why why is it the Premier League thinks that it's knows best and being very critical of Richard Masters. But I, th- I think as well, I mean, ultimately Liverpool, it's a physically demanding team to play for Liverpool. It, there's an element of responsibility with Liverpool, I guess, that, but that's the way that Liverpool play. So 
you often find if a player does get injured, injured very rarely, does he go straight back into the team? That's why I was quite surprised to see Joel Mata play against City because I don't think he'd done too much training. I think usually the player needs to build his fitness back up to get up to a level that, that makes him you know free to go and play in, in, in the team and, and, and fulfil the demands that he expects from them. So it's a very difficult team to, to get into and a, and a team that, that you've got to be physically ready to play for if you're going to be successful. So I think there's an element of that coming into it as well. I mean, it's it's a crazy season. We're living in unprecedented times where there's been very little pre-season. You know, there's a great, it feels like there's a greater regularity of games. And, and Liverpool, ultimately, a bit like, I suppose you, you could say, Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. There's a big physical demand. I know they've had a few problems with injuries as well, although Atletico have had to play fewer number of games. So I think all those reasons thrown together have contributed towards a situation where where Liverpool are, are really struggling at the moment. It's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hovers. So Sammy Hughes and Kiefer O'Neill on the pod today. And let's look to Sunday night football. That's uh, next for Liverpool. They welcome the Premier League leaders. It's Leicester City. Um, so where's your head at with the title challenge at the moment? The likes of Leicester or, or Spurs. I reckon, Kiefer, if you're one of those sides, you're thinking, well, why not? We, we should be in the frame this season. It's, it's not a season where Liverpool or Man City are running, running away with it already. The, the league leader's position is, is changing with some regularity. What, why wouldn't Leicester or Spurs believe there might be a chance for themselves? I think they will believe it, won't they? Um, obviously, the season Leicester won it. Tottenham were chasing them all the way, weren't they? They were the sort of the team as everyone just had a, a crazy year. Um, they were the two that sort of just were, were doing all right and, you know, Putting, putting games together and wins together and it's it's such a big game um, Liverpool Leicester now I mean it, it felt big last season which I mentioned last week and mm. I feel like you know Liverpool went went there and, and put down a, a real marker and just sort of ended ended Leicester season almost um, and re- really said you know we want we want to be champions and that was that felt like the moment obviously now you know they come up against each other again and it's sort of a, a similar sort of thing but obviously Leicester in front of Liverpool so it's Liverpool need to win this um, no matter what there I mean a draw wouldn't be the worst thing in the world but you, you need to be winning games and you know the way Leicester have been attacking you you do kind of dread the thought of them you know Jamie Vardy running at you and, and the likes um, so I mean it's a it's a massive fixture. It feels almost bigger than it did last week. I think maybe just mm. because it's getting closer and because Joe Gomez will no longer be uh, playing. Obviously, sort of concerns for Henderson, a, a brief sort of concern for Robertson, but I think he'll be all right. Um, you know, I think Liverpool are losing a lot of players to injuries and it's not at the best time. We know Alexander-Arnold's going to miss four weeks. It might be about three weeks now, so we'll definitely miss it. And we know how much he sort of relished that, that fixture last season. I think, you know, the good thing is it's at Anfield, Liverpool can get home and just be like, you know, right, here we go. But I think fans noticed it's at the same time as the Aston Villa game, quarter past seven on a Sunday evening. So Liverpool will be wanting to sort of right that wrong, <laughs> will not they? <laughs> uh, what a comparison. There's, there hasn't been a clean sheet yet um, for Liverpool at, at home, Si. So that that is a big objective. And Kiva mentioned there, obviously, the likes of Vardy running at you. You know, Madison in great form. They've got some some top players playing well. It's quite a challenge for Liverpool here. Yeah, it's a massive game, but they were, they were massive games against them last season as well. I thought the Leicester 
obviously their, their sort of struggles towards the end of the season were, were well documented. But earlier on in the season, um, you know, they, they, they were going really well. And I, I think I think that Liverpool's win at Leicester on Boxing Day, it, it sort of felt like it knocked the stuffing out to them quite a lot. You know, the, the, manner, the manner of the victory and the margin of the victory. I think it really, really said that, that Liverpool were the team to beat quite clearly. And from that point onwards, the, the, the Leicester's season sort of unravels quite quickly from there, really. Um, but yeah, quite impressively, I must say, I think, I think Brendan Rodgers has answer, answered quite a few questions, really, because it, when, when a team finishes the season as, in a way that Leicester did, he's under pressure at the start of the next season. I think the owners are always looking to see how they do. And if it feels like they're going in the wrong way, you know, Leicester's owners have been quite quick to make changes over the last sort of five years. So he's, he's done really well to sort of wrestle back that initiative. And as Kiva said there, I think Jamie Vardy, you always worry what he might do because he's been a great player in the Premier League. He's always alive and a massive threat. So it's, it's going to be a big challenge for Liverpool um, trying to find a way to stop him, particularly as he, he'll have had two weeks off as well. Obviously retired from international football, will be fresh and raring to go. So it's a big, big challenge for Liverpool, but you'd be confident as ever, Liverpool at home, you'd back them to win the record over the last four, three or four years, being absolutely incredible. So, but yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how Jan Klopp deals with this because it's, it's a major challenge for him trying to find out, find a solution to the, to, to the centre-back problems at the moment. Right, eight, eight Premier League games played so far and side. Leicester have won eight penalties. <laughs> so so they're, they're top of the penalty league. Liverpool have won four penalties. Um, mm. Converted them all. Salah's converted them all. Leicester have converted seven of, of the eight. I mean, it's an absurd number of penalties, isn't it? Mm. We, well, it is, do, yeah. we, do we pin this down to something? Well, obviously, the, the, the increased amounts of technology. I mean, that, that, that's, been, that's been documented quite a lot, hasn't it, in terms of players being penalised, every single move being watched. And, and the, the referee having the benefits of of technology to, to to back his decisions up, so I think it's just purely purely down to that. Obviously, the, the rules have changed over the course of the summer, which are, and then they've changed again in the course of the season, haven't they? About what what mm. what what actually is a handball? So I think all these reasons have contributed towards it. No greater you know, emphasis uh, by the by the manager or the players on it. Uh, well, I think managers and players always try and find a way around the, the rules, don't they? As well, I think they're always very conscious of, of these sorts of changes and try and try and adapt their games to, to, to the changing environments around them. Um, is that your dog there, Steve? You might want to sort that No, out. no, it's not. That must be Kiva. <laughs> oh, uh, no, James, no James Pierce on the pod today. We thought the zoo was shut, but um, maybe well, Kiva needs to round the animals up. I'll, I'll crack I'll on. Uh, <laughs> when you think about how Liverpool have, um, have changed sort of the, the, the highlight the, or the line of the defence according to the introduction of technology it, it just shows that yeah, Klopp is, is always thinking about how you can take advantages of, mm. uh, of little changes so I'm sure I'm sure that has come into it but yeah I mean it, it seems now that the rules and the technology favour a higher number of penalties and referees getting involved in situations like that uh, interesting to see how it de- develops. Manchester United set a new record last season. I think it was something like 14 pens over the course of the the season. But Leicester might well beat that, given the run they're on. Uh, Liverpool, Kiva, on 62 games unbeaten at Anfield. Will it be 63? Yeah, you'd like to think so. Um, I think there's something special about Anfield under Jurgen Klopp, especially over the past couple of seasons. Um, I just think, you know, they might have 
missed out on, you know, got all these injuries piling up, but there's something something on the field there, isn't there? And in the soil at Anfield that Liverpool won't be giving up. Absolutely. Let's wait and see uh, how it turns out. A final thought on Thiago. Um, we've not really seen any any consistent games from him yet. I think we're all looking forward to a string of performances, aren't we? He's played, what, 135 minutes so far. Kiva, is he, is he close to involvement now? Best 135 minutes of my life, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think he's needing it and that would be the boost. I think Liverpool fans would absolutely buzz off, wouldn't they, if, if he's named in that team at the weekend I'm not entirely sure you know whether he's close to that obviously we know he missed the Man City game but what a boost that would be I mean Liverpool need someone to sort of stand up now and be counted as I mentioned Alisson will have to do that you know there'll be leaders all over the pitch but Thiago would offer Liverpool fans a lot of hope when he's named in the squad you know he's the the big summer sign and you know he chose to come to Liverpool from European champions by Munich. He, he wanted to come in and play for this team and, you know, let, let him have at it now. It's the Red Agenda uh, on The Athletic. Right, on the site this morning, you can find an interview with Jamie Carragher, who's been speaking with Sarah Shepherd about the challenges of uh, giving up the game he loved. So he shared his thoughts on adapting to life after football. So let's hear some of that podcast now, starting with Jamie discussing the moment he decided to call it a day. I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit different, I think, to most sportsmen in that I wanted to finish. I didn't, I, it wasn't like, a, you know, the worst day of my life. I almost knew 18 months, two years before uh, when I wanted to go out. My contract was finished and I was just starting to not become a regular for Liverpool and being sub. And I just had a couple of options in my head. I either be a one-club man and, and stay at Liverpool and don't go anywhere else. And I'm not really going to get any better at my age. So it's going to be difficult for me to get back fully in the team. Or I drop down a level uh, in terms of, you know, quality, maybe play a little bit more regular and prolong my career, maybe into my late 30s rather than wait until, you know, 35 and my contract was finished. But I didn't want to play for anyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was done uh, at my stage. It was difficult for me as well because I was... Well, not difficult, probably a, a good way. And I, I just played for Liverpool and, uh, you know, a local lad and the club means so much to you that I didn't want to sort of embarrass myself or embarrass the club while I was playing and, and sort of just carry on and on and on and, and almost uh, become that bad that the, you get thrown out rather than walk out in some ways. So for me, it was just nice to finish when I finished. I got a few games uh, in my last season towards the end, which was nice. So it was a nice way for me to go out. So I was actually pleased uh, to finish really I was looking forward to sort of moving on and doing other things the interesting time you, you know him well I've, I've done bits with him and he, when he reflects on finishing at Liverpool I still get the sense because of course the season after was the great Brendan Rodgers season wasn't it I still yeah. get the sense as a bit of him that thinks I wonder whether I could have been involved in that yeah yeah well I, I felt sorry for him to be honest when towards the end of that season that you mentioned obviously Liverpool was so close and I do sometimes wonder, it's just little things. So, obviously, Colo Torre makes a mistake against West Brom in a game that Liverpool draw the Hawthorns. And I remember thinking, if Carroll would never have made that sort of mistake. Do you know what I mean? And mm. if, if, if he'd just played that one more season, would have it made a difference at the end of the season? You, you just don't know. I suppose it's it's almost a pointless conversation in some ways. But yeah. I, I, I think he could have contributed. Um 
but you can understand his reasons for walking away when he did uh, totally. I, I remember at the start of that, the, his last season, we did a big interview on um, on Crosby Beach and he was he was absolutely loving it. Like he, he was absolutely loving the training under under Brendan Rodgers. Was saying you know speaking very positively about um, Brendan Rodgers as sort of that the way he went about was going about his his first few months and was really excited about it. But I did sort of sense as well that. He, he he sort of knew his time was was coming to an end. Um, of course now, <laughs> I think he's he's put his hands up on social media. I need to come and solve Liverpool's uh, centre half crisis. But um, <laughs> but yeah yeah, and I, he could have played on for a few more seasons. But I I, I think he's very astute, Carrot, isn't he? In, the, in that he knows that that it's better to still to go out when people still want you rather yes. than, than than carry on and then and then feel like he's sort of just just hanging around a bit. He didn't want that and. Um, the way he did it was it was quite good as well, I think, because he there wasn't a massive build up to his last game. He sort of made the announcement, didn't he? I think that a couple of weeks before, maybe a month or so before, that it, he was going to finish that season. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think I think he could have played on for another couple of seasons. But I can understand why he made that decision because he's he's always been very acute, acutely aware of like sort of the legacy that he leaves. I remember, obviously, talking about Steven Gerrard and when he could have left and gone and played for another club, and he was like. People, you know, you won't be able to walk around Liverpool. People will never, you know, people won't respect for everything that you've done. You know, people will feel about you differently. So I think he was always aware that it's how you leave the game that people sort of remember you. And I think he did ultimately probably choose the right time. But just that that one season, you just never know if he stuck around. It, he could have, he could have been the difference. It's it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint, but I, I I think he could have been the difference. Right, let's hear a little bit more from Cara. Of course, massive lifestyle changes when you're a professional footballer and you decide to call it a day. So let's hear from Cara on how it affected him. I know myself. You know, don't get me wrong, we earned a lot of money when we were playing. But the day when that money stops going in that bank each month, you're just used to it for 15 years, just at the end of the month, boom, money in the bank. And it just stops now. Yeah. But no matter who you are, you don't like eating into stuff that you've already, you know, you say or whatever it may be. Listen, I'm very lucky. I'm not, don't uh, take this as complaining. But psychologically, it is it is a big thing where it's just like, oh, you know, you want to keep your lifestyle, you want to keep different things. And and some people then uh, maybe are not prepared to change. Now, I had to change a little bit when I stopped. You haven't got the same type of revenue coming in and, and different things. And then maybe sometimes I play, I always feel they're trying to impress people all the time or even trying to impress the wife. And keep paying for the, on, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm putting on this act for the outside world, and there's nothing wrong with sort of you know downsizing your house or you know doing something different. You know, it's it's life, isn't it? You know, what I mean, that's something like that would never sort of bother me. But I think I, I understand a lot more now because I was a bit like you when you said before about people maybe suffering depression. When I used to hear about footballers. You know, getting divorced, losing the money, and 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 how does this happen? But I can understand it a little bit more now with that psychological effect of nowhere to go every day, and that money not coming in, and you're still paying the same stuff. And some people with this bravado, this ego, to almost keep up this pretense that you know they've still got this money, they can still do whatever they've been doing for the last fifteen years. You see, it's easy to pour scorn on this, Kiva, but actually, and I spoke to Dominic Matteo about this, and. I was saying, you know, when you're earning your most and then you stop football, how does it affect you? And he said, well, 
you know, even if you're earning 10, 12 grand a week, he said he said it's easy to spend when you're earning that amount of money. You know, you can pay for the luxury car, etc. So whilst we might sort of go, yeah, yeah, you earn a lot of cash and actually, you know, why should we feel sorry for you? There is a dramatic change there for some of these players. Yeah, well, I think when you relate it to Carrot, I mean, he's never been a flash person at all. I, I think his... He's carried his, his sort of his background and, and upbringing and boot with him throughout his whole career. So I don't think that's ever been like sort of a problem. He's never, never been the sort of person to show off at all. He's always been a, sort of acutely aware of, of his status in the game. I think you know because let's have it right. You know he's set, made more appearances other than any other player aside from Ian Callaghan for Liverpool. He's an absolute legend, isn't he, of Liverpool? But he, he's 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 always to me anyway. He's seen very down to earth and, and very humble. Uh, so I don't think that was necessarily a massive problem for him. I, I think that there is obviously a massive void in in, in, um, in players' careers. And I, I remember speaking to him around the time he'd, he'd he decided to retire, but he hasn't really retired. I mean, he's busier now than he ever has been. You know, he's, he's, he's in demand. I mean, I, I find it harder trying to <laughs> pin him down for, for a chat now than it is when he was a player, you know, because of all the things that he does, you know, obviously with Sky and and um, and various other foreign TV companies, he's always on the road, always always treating his job very, very seriously as he did with football. Uh, he's very, very well prepared when he goes on to Sky. I think I think obviously he's, he's one of the fortunate ones in that, that he's so passionate about football that it's led to another career. I think you obviously mentioned Dominic Matteo there. I think there's, there's a lot of players who finish the game now and don't necessarily know what's going to come next. He sort of just go with the flow and, and see how it, it, it leads. And I remember, I remember Kara saying to me when he, when he retired that he just said, I don't want to be a person who just sits, sits in front of the television all day watching you know news updates. I want to be doing stuff. I want to have a routine, which is a bit like football. So I think he goes to the gym pretty much every morning. Um, and, and, and he's obviously got that sort of football routine still in his life, whereas some players, they don't have that. And I think... I think the the ones that don't probably struggle quite yeah. a lot, particularly in the early years. It's a discipline, isn't it? Let's let's hear a final piece from Cara. He was asked whether the PFA could do more to help players transition into retirement. I've never asked the PFA for anything when I finished. Maybe I'm one of the lucky ones, but I, I do know the PFA does do a lot for a lot of players. The PFA with the footballers is a little bit of a punch bag in some ways because uh, there's probably not. At this moment, there's, there's certainly a lot for them to be criticised for with, with different things going on. People obviously go for Gordon Taylor, look at his salary, what he's actually doing for the game. People look at dementia, really. But there's so many different bodies within football and yet sometimes you're not quite sure who should be doing what. But I think the PFA do do a lot for players. Uh, I think possibly more lower down near the scale where players haven't got those type of finances. But those players then don't have a a big reputation or something that will get media attention what the PFA have done as such. Maybe it's not easy for them that way, but I've never sort of come on and batter an organisation. Uh, you know, I've paid me, me fees into them throughout my career. I was the PFA rep for Liverpool for the last four or five years of my career. So I was in meetings and, and chatting with people. So yeah, they're, they're always trying to help. But as you know, even if in any walk of life, even people who are trying to help, you can never keep everyone happy. And there's always someone, uh, certainly a footballer at the moment, who will have a, a stick to beat someone with. But yes, at this moment, I think there possibly should be some reform within the PFA. There's been talk of it for a long time. But there's no doubt they do help 
uh, lots of players, but as I said, there'll always be someone having a, you know an axe to grind with them because there's just so many more footballers than possibly there is you know boxers if you if you like. There's, there's there is so many you know leaving the game, coming into the game, and people having to suffer injuries as well. As you'd expect with Cara, absolutely fascinating interview. You can hear the whole thing on The Athletic right now. Uh, Jamie Carragher in conversation with Sarah Shepherd. If you're not a subscriber, you can sign up for just £1 by going to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Uh, loads covered off this week. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast as always. And of course, uh, next week we'll be back to have a look at how Le- Liverpool perform against Leicester at Anfield. My thanks to uh, Simon and Kiva and the Red Agenda returns in a week. 